Hi, you lovely people out there in 26 countries we're in now. Yes, 26. Crazy. Welcome to this episode of Stepping Out with me, Kaz Pritchard, and I'm so grateful for you all listening. I really hope I'm living up to your expectations because I never expected to reach that far. So if not, please don't hesitate to contact me with any suggestions or feedback you have. Or if you have a story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, you'll find all the details in the usual place in the episode description. The weather in the southeast of the UK here in Buckinghamshire has been so nice lately and it's lifted a lot of moods, I reckon. Having dry trails to walk on is really liberating and I've just made a plan for my events this year, all in support of Prostate Cancer UK. If you listened to the episode with my dad, you'd have heard at the end of that that he's currently receiving treatment for prostate cancer. And I want to do everything I can to raise as much money as possible by doing 10 walking events, one or two a month until the end of the year. They're mostly 50Ks, there are a couple of 100Ks. One of those is continuous, which is utterly bonkers. And I think there's a couple of other 25Ks in there somewhere. The link for this is in the uh, episode description as well, and so any donation to that would be hugely appreciated. Seriously, even a quid would be brilliant, but I'll still love you if you don't donate, but thank you. Right, let's get on to today's episode, and this one is with the super chilled man called Glenn Birkenkamp. So what often stands in the way is they've been told they wouldn't be good at it, it's not right for them, no one in the family has ever done this before. Perhaps there's no money to be made there. And oftentimes, a lot of dreams are squashed by other people. Glenn is an ex-bodybuilder, author, speaker, and he also carries out workshops in his corner of the USA where he facilitates a space where people can come and recharge, realign, and reconnect with what truly matters. He has two books out there, one called Mastery, Living the Highest You, and his most recent book called Walking with Glenn Birkenkamp, 35 Wellness Walks to Expand Awareness, Increase Vitality and Reduce Stress. We talk all about his life as a bodybuilder and how his story developed from there after not being big enough to compete to a high enough level. He also gives you some pre-walk prompts for your next walk, and I hope you'll agree he is a rather zen-like and inspiring person. It's quite a spiritual one, this one, but if you're not that way inclined, please keep listening because he has a lot to say and I'm sure that will resonate with everyone. So without further ado, grab a drink, pop your shoes on, plug your headphones in and we'll get going. Thank you for joining me, Glenn. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Kaz. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. And I, I thought about not asking people about the COVID situation on here, but it, I decided it's such an important and poignant part of our lives at the moment that I want to ask you, what are the effects of the pandemic in Los Angeles where, where you are at the moment? Well, I'm actually in, I'm about six hours north of Los Angeles and uh, in an area called Marin County. Mm-hmm. And I believe we are the second lowest in the state, if not the lowest in uh, cases. And we're going into, I think, what they call the yellow tier, which is uh, less and less restrictions uh, where I am. So it's a little more, um, there's a little more nature around me, a little more space. It's not so congested. And um, we haven't, this, this particular area, I don't think had too much COVID. Yeah. And it sounds like a really nice place to live as well, somewhere that would really suit you. 
Yeah, it's uh, perfect. Uh, you know, I ended up here at a time of my life when it was the perfect space to be. So I'm very happy here. Oh, brilliant. And But you were brought up in New Jersey, though, weren't you? You had a really nice family life there. And, and yes. um, what interested me was your, was your interest in bodybuilding from a young age. And you described yourself as an ectomorph, which for those of you listening, you don't know what that is. It's someone who is pretty slender. And you say that you had to train harder than most people to get where you wanted to be in sport. So you made it your mission to learn as much as you could about anatomy and physiology and but also the, the philosophies around weight training. So can you tell me about that time in your life and why you found it so rewarding to do that? Sure. I can certainly tell you uh, I don't have such great memory of it all. My life has been so full since that chapter in my life. It seems like there's been many chapters since it, but but as you stated, uh, from a very young age, I think I was 11 when I first started training with weights. Um, I don't quite know the draw. I don't know, you know, because people ask that question, why would you start so early? But I was drawn to it. Um, I, I had played team sports as well. Baseball specifically was the sport I liked. But for some reason, bodybuilding really clicked with me. I, I think it was the, how it was a something that was like 24-7, meaning when you're a bodybuilder, it's, it doesn't stop. It's like you're constantly refining it, how you, know, you sleep a certain way, you, know, you eat a certain way. Like you said, certain philosophies of the body um, become very prevalent in your life. And so for me, I think at first it, it was about you know, wanting to become Mr. Universe uh, like, like most bodybuilders. And then at a, by the age I was 16 or 17, I realized I didn't have the genetics to do that, but I, I had a good, good ability to learn and I acquired quite a bit of knowledge and maybe a bit of wisdom already at that age. And I started to apply it to other bodybuilders who had better genetics. And within a few short years, I was training people that were going in things like the Mr. Universe. And, and then I think when I was 19, I became a bodybuilding judge. I was judging state level contests. And when I was 21, I believe I became a national judge. So judging like the Mr. USA, things wow. like that. So, so it's been a, it was an amazing path, and uh, as you read, um, it really introduced me to the body in the most physical sense of how the body works, how the muscles work, how, um, how one gains muscle, how to eat to gain muscle, all those things. So it was a great foundation for me as my life later went more into a more nuanced space, uh, looking at strength from different angles. Mm. And also looking at what, what I mentioned often in, in my book is the uh, going from rock to water. So going from hardness to softness or to flow. Where is there strength in flow and softness and ease? We all know where the strength is in exertion, but how, how strong can you be with, uh, you could say effortless effort? That defined more the light, latter part of my life. Yeah, and just, you know, kind of moving from that, what is essentially, you know, looking at bodybuilders, it's all about strength and hardness and, you know, that real kind of, yeah, rock hard look. Um, but first of all, how did that feel for you to be on the other side? Because after you trained so hard, was that was that a natural progression for you or was that quite tricky to move from one to the other? Well, you know, there's elements, there's, there's layers to that. Um, there's the physical sense of how does it feel to be in a body uh, all of a sudden uh, 60 pounds lighter or maybe 70 pounds lighter, I think, at one point. So that feels odd, uh, different in the sense. I lost that weight fairly quick. I went on, I guess, what one would call a spiritual path. And when that 
when I committed to that, a lot of the, the weight sort of melted off very quickly. And so from most physical standpoint, I mean, a funny thing, I remember I used to love, uh, I still love being in the surf and big waves or relatively big waves. Um, and I remember when I was a bodybuilder, uh, I could stand there and almost like challenge the waves, come on, hit me. And, uh, and I stand pretty well. And there came a point where I remember a very small wave came and took me down and I realized, okay, those legs had a real good purpose besides how they looked. And, uh, and so uh, having lost that strength was kind of interesting. But later in life, I think I, I learned to be with the waves in a different way and uh, found the strength there once again. But uh, uh, so the second part of to answer your question would be psychologically. Uh, when you enter the room and you're a certain, you have a certain amount of body mass or muscle mass, you command a bit of attention, whether it be good attention, bad attention, without a doubt you are seen. And when that goes away, that's a little different too. It's because it becomes uh, so much of one's identity, how they look. So when your look completely changes, and I went from having a crew cut to having hair, you know, down to my elbows, very long hair. Oh, really? And uh, all of a sudden I had, you know, round glasses. <laughs> I, needed, I mean, I looked very different, you know, and I, and I could see now, um, when I look back at pictures, how it could be so jarring to people. But yeah. but I think my friends, um, I think for the most part, they all went with it because, you know, I think at my core, I remained the same. Uh, I never was judgmental towards anyone. And to this day, I'm not judgmental to anyone that stays in bodybuilding. I think there's a lot of beauty in that sport, a lot to be learned and gained and benefited from. Uh, just my path grew beyond it. I, I literally felt like I took it as far as, as I could and, and perhaps there would have been more challenges down the road, but, but I don't think so. I think for me, it was time to go inward and, uh, and look at a different type of strength and a different way of being in the body. Mm, yeah, so more of an emotional strength than, than a physical strength. And you say that you, in the 1990s, that you reached a point where, when you left that sport, um, that you said to yourself, and I quote, I am now going to work on my inside as much as I've worked on my outside, which is what you were alluding to there. And um, you were only in your 20s then, which is often a time when young people let go or perhaps explore more of their wild side. So what prompted you to do that inner work, do you think, at that age? Because it also meant you lost confidence as well, like you say, when your built-up physique started to fall away, didn't you? Uh, wow, these, these are such profound questions and <laughs> I could talk for a long time on them. Um, that that when I said, to, and I think it's in the book, I know it's in other places I've written where I said, I'm now going to work on my inside as much as I worked on my outside. Um, that was, I think what you'd call more of an inner calling. It wasn't an intellectual decision. Um, having said that, I did feel that I was at a point in my life, uh, as a bodybuilder, I was a relatively insecure person. Um, I mean, my mother could probably tell you stories about me changing my shirt six or seven times before I'd go out because did it make my tricep look small? Did it make my tricep look big? You know, whatever the thing was around the body. So yes, of course, all of a sudden you don't have that anymore. And, but you still have perhaps the insecurity that may have caused all that. Uh, and of course, as I've written, when I look back in, back in retrospect, you know, I'm, I'm amazed and very proud of how much I built up my body. But at that point, uh, I was spending great, great amounts of time with people who were the best in the world. And next to them, I didn't look like much of a, a bodybuilder. And uh, 
at least in my eyes. Um, but looking back now, I see the accomplishment, especially as you mentioned earlier, that me being an ectomorph by nature. Mm. Um, but that inner calling, uh, that came at a point, I'd moved to California and I had a lot of offers and those offers went, sort of in the fitness world. And they gave me, even though I always knew from a young age, I'd moved to California, those offers sort of made it easier for me to make the move. And then one by one, those things didn't play out. They didn't, they didn't happen the way they were supposed to, or the way I was led to believe they would happen. And because of that, uh, it made me question a lot of things. And I did become a bit angry and disappointed at that point. And that's really when that whole shift happened, where I really said, who am I? And you know, I mentioned, uh, maybe in my book, I mentioned this uh, Louise Hay book, You Can Heal Your Life. And mm, that, that book one. was, rec- yes, and it was recommended to me by a woman, a clairvoyant woman, maybe mm, about eight months prior to what you're talking about, this episode of me saying I'm now going to go inward. And I remember she recommended it to me and I, and I uh, looked at it in, in the mall and, and decided quite quickly that that's not a book that I'd ever be reading. And um, <laughs> cut to me living in California all these months later and not in a very good mood one day emotionally and you know not feeling very good and and coming out of my place and the woman next door asked me if I could help her with a with a box carry this box to the curb so I said sure and the box was packed with books except one one book was on the on the very front of the on the top of the box not couldn't fit in the box and that was Louise Hayes you can heal your life and so I told her this story and she said to me, young man, I believe you're supposed to have that book. And I was, and I started reading it. And that really was a big part of my shift because that was the first time I really started to look at thoughts and belief systems and how they impact not only my internal world, but the world around me. And that ties into, you know, then how, how does one go inward? How does one become more self-realized, self-aware, those on the path of self-mastery, which ultimately, if I had to to define my path, it would be one of self-realization or self-mastery, because really there's there's no one or nothing that we can come to know better on this planet than ourselves. So it's a very worthwhile journey. And um, and it was one I was drawn to. And I thought that I think the timing from the, from the beginning to this point, I think it's been pretty much perfect. Um, how people I've met, the books I've received, um, mm. but I feel I feel I've been fortunate and in in some ways guided, um, certainly guided. Yeah, I, I I have a very similar story about her other book, The Power Is Within You, um, uh, where it's just so weird. I was in a park with a friend of mine, um, and we had all our children with us, and it started to rain. So we we sort of ducked into this cafe and in the sort of foyer area of this cafe, there's just loads and loads of old books. And as I'm talking to her, I just was drawn to this one book. And it was it, it was so old because her books are quite old now. And, and it was it was even faded with the sun where another book had been on top of it. And I could just see the title and I picked it up and I just and she's still talking to me and I said, I think I'm just going to put a little donation and take this book. And I took it home and it's one of the best books ever. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, when, uh, you know, in my mastery book, um, which I don't know if you know about, I, maybe you went to my website, but that was, yeah. that's a book that I really love. And the last passage of that, um, the second to last passage uh, on, two, on page 242, it says, 
a master knows that a book will find those who are meant to read it. Mm. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, gives you goosebumps, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. And, you know, you've experienced it and, and I've experienced it many times. And, and with this book, I've given it to people, especially people that are traveling the world. And, and I've asked them just to put it places on park benches or wherever they think. And then in it, I've written, turn to page 242. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then people have found it and emailed me and say, oh, I, I found your book on a, on a bench in Spain or you know, I found it in Brazil. So, so it's been really interesting to see how it reached people at the right time. So, yeah. And, and also, like, this really interests me as well, because you, you say that people were starting to refer to you as a guru when you were training people. Um, what do you think made people say that about you at that time? And Was it because you were sort of inadvertently teaching them more than bodybuilding, like you say, with your books and your, and your words? What do you think that was? Well, well, I think, you know, that's a two. I came from New Jersey. Okay. And I came from a, um, you know, the gyms I went to pretty much blue collar gyms. I don't know how much the word guru in the Eastern sense was used as a great compliment. But Mm -hmm. having said that, I think in my case, uh, and I still have friends that call me that, um, (laughs) it was a compliment as much as people, I don't know the connotation you know, obviously guru translates to teacher. I think from a very young age, I'd been a good teacher. I mean, when I was 14, I was already working as an instructor at the local gym. Uh, and I've had an ability to communicate well from a young age and, and be a teacher. So the guru thing, the reason I bring it up in, in the walking book is because how interesting it was that it returned uh, later in life, you know. So at first people would talk about it because you know, I will, I will speak on my behalf and say I did know quite a bit about bodybuilding. I knew quite a bit about chemistry, mm-hmm. how the body works, everything from how to make it big, to how to get it in shape, to how to present it. I, I, I would say I was an expert in that field. It's fascinating as well, isn't it? Whatever you learn, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of anatomy and physiology in my time and it, it, everything is just so fascinating. You, you almost can't get enough of it because it's such a, you know, t- to learn about the human body is is just amazing really isn't it yeah because we you know we all have one and they work Mm -hmm. to varying degrees and varying ways but we all have it the one thing we share in that we're in agreement on is that we all have these bodies and um you know some people are drawn to expressing themselves with their body whether it be through athletics or dance or some sort of expressions and other people aren't you know um but yet, nonetheless, they're moving through life in their own way um, and hopefully finding a, a place where they like residing in their body. And I, and I say that because I do know there's a lot of people that have challenges with their body, you know, whether it be medically or emotionally or whatever they're dealing with, where it's uncomfortable to, to mm. be an embodiment. And, and I have great compassion and empathy for that. And my own path with my body has been very interesting because, you know, I've it's like I've been two or three people in this lifetime as far as maybe even more as far as this body goes. So I, I feel very blessed. And I also feel it's given me a more experiential understanding of what, how others may be walking through life because my, my walk has been fairly nuanced and, Mm. um, and it's been a lot of different blends. <laughs> mm, you put the morph into ectomorph, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I morphed. I did a lot of morphing. Almost became a mesomorph at one point, I guess. So, 
I'll conclude that by saying, you know, later in life, when I was um, more into spirituality, which is an interesting word, but let's just say I was more into exploring beyond the physical, right, into the mystery of life. Um, then I, for whatever reason, I had a pretty good connection into that world early on. Uh, meditation didn't come easy for me in the beginning, but once it came, um, it arrived in a very profound way. And my walk through life deepened very quickly once it happened. And from that space, people then would use that word around me. And now those people had no idea that I had any connection to bodybuilding or any connection to that word 20 years prior, 25 years prior. So for me, it's, it's interesting because if the word is reduced to teacher, simply to teacher, if we're going to use it in the most basic framing, then I think uh, it, it describes me well because um, I think I've been a good teacher. Uh, and I guess that comes from being a good student or an interested mm. student. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I think is really admirable about you is that, is that you didn't just focus on what was going on in your head or one way of thinking when you were doing all of that inner work. You you decided to go and read books from all sorts of religions. And I think you read the recorded works of saints and sages and other way shows in history. So pretty impressive 360 reading there. Why were you driven to know as much as possible before you felt you could fully explore your own self? Boy, um, this is a fantastic question. And I think everyone that, that enters what they might call a spiritual path or a spiritual chapter of their life, a lot of times it comes from, from a deep inner calling. So there was this deep inner calling. Um, and you could call that a calling that transcends the intellectual mind. Having said that, Kaz, there's also the intellectual mind and the ego, and the part of you that wants to understand. So even if you had an experience, and it might be profound, and beautiful, illuminating, very helpful, you still want to, or there's a part of your being that wants to understand it. So when I mentioned reading about the saints and the sages and the way showers, by and large, the majority of those people all have had or have explored mystical experiences and they tend to share their experience with you through the written word so for me it became very interesting just in a comparative sense in a research sense and also in almost like a family sense feeling a connection to a lot of these people that have walked that path feeling a brotherhood feeling a sisterhood you know just a a deeper connection, the same way I felt when I would see a bodybuilder when I was younger and there's an unspoken connection, you know, because you're both doing so much in gym and you just don't have to even speak. You know what it's all about. Mm. And I think in that world, it becomes a very similar thing um, where you gravitate towards people who have gone into such a space and now share it and live from it. From it. And, um, and that became my reality. So, um, and then... It's just a deepening space in a sense where words become less and less and less important. And um, so I'm a writer, so I still <laughs> use the words, but I try to do it in a way, you know, my big belief is you meet people where they're at. And when I was, let's say, 20 or 21, 
um, I would have not wanted someone to meet me and be judgmental or to say, oh, you're, you're purely into your body or you're so obsessed with how you look. That wouldn't have served me in any way. But what has served me is someone, you know, meeting me with a fascination, curiosity. Someone who wanted to know more about me and mm -hmm. what my interests were, my passions were. So for me, I only bring that up now because I feel we're all walking our unique path through life and they're all equal in value. So as much as I walk the path of know thyself, self-mastery, that's the path that I feel drawn to and I teach and share from, it's not everyone's path. So I'm very respectful of that. And not only respectful, but in love with that idea that everyone mm. is here to do what they're here to do. So I guess part of the guru too is realizing that at times you don't have to teach anyone anything. Yeah. More times than not. But you do need to live your life the way is in alignment with you. And in doing so, you may have a very positive effect on people that you may not even be aware of. And so for me, it's more getting back to the walking book. I think walking the walk. I, I do like to talk the talk and I do <laughs> like to communicate and I love people. I love conversation. But ultimately, you know, years ago, I did a podcast after the mastery book first came out. And someone said to me, how do they know when they can become, a, when they're a spiritual teacher or when they can become a spiritual teacher? And I said, well, next time you're in a line at the store, you can thank the cashier. If she has a name tag, you can thank her by her name. You can hold the door for someone. You can smile at someone, make eye contact with someone that might need it. And you've just become a high level spiritual teacher, you know, just by your very actions. So for me, you know, when we mentioned earlier the mystics, the saints, the way showers, there is a world in which we transcend physicality and we have access to that. And from that space, a lot of beauty is there, obviously wisdom, deep, deep, deep resonant wisdom. But ultimately my path has been about, I guess, as my friend Dennis says, where the rubber meets the road mm. <laughs> and in the very, very earthly, earthly walk. And so with that said, I tend to almost never speak about very profound mystical things, but I do speak of kindness and compassion, empathy and understanding, mm. quietness within the body in the natural world quite a bit, reconnecting to the natural world. Yeah, and it's and you and you talk about it's almost like leading by example there. You talked about opening the door for people and, and being kind and things like that. And but not everybody um can really find the path for them and it can be extremely frustrating, especially in a world like this, you know, where it is pretty chaotic, especially now. Um but what would you say to others who are trying to find their path? What what's the one sort of thing that you would try and help them with, who were just trying to find their way? What, what are they meant to be doing? Well, it's, it's interesting because as you say this, I think most people know what, what interests them, know what they'd like to do. So what often stands in the way is they've been told they wouldn't be good at it. It's not right for them. No one in the family has ever done this before. Um, perhaps there's no money to be made there. And oftentimes, a lot of dreams are squashed by other people. Um, having said that, there's also well-meaning people out there that could be saying, well, son, you're five foot four and you're not gonna play 
in the National Basketball Association, and that, that there's truth to that. Mm-hmm. So we talk about this idea of finding your excitement, um, what you could say is your magnetic north, your yes, the, the, the thing inside you that lights you up and says, this is what I'd like to do in life. And this doesn't just have to be the grand plan, in other words, uh, or a big plan, like I want to open my own business or I want to drop everything and become an entrepreneur, although it certainly works for those things. It can be as simple as how do I get through the week in a less stressful manner? Or how do I find a passion that makes me want to get through the day? And this is when we talk about excitement. All of us, whether it be buried deep or not, have something that lights us up inside. What you could say, what we're here to do. For some people, it's raise a family. For some people, it might be write a, write books. Other people, it may be to become a great auto mechanic. All these things serve the the purpose, perfect purpose on, on on the planet. So the main thing is, how do you find yours and this idea of when are we most receptive? And well, walking, we know science has told us that and many people who have walked, uh, including Aristotle and, uh, and John Muir, Henry David Thoreau, William Wordsworth, Charles Dickens, Emily Dickens, all these people, these great walkers throughout time, they've received their works, their insights through walk, including Einstein, attributing his walks to so much of his uh, his understanding. So when one wants to find their path in life or what they wish to accomplish, walking can be wonderful because it gives us access to the quiet, still voice within. And the quiet, still voice within often has the answers. I would almost say it always has the answers. So walking is a way we can tap into that. I can also say that inspiration and clarity often come when people take a shower shower, warm shower. It often comes while driving a car on highways, freeways, where you're doing an activity that you can do without giving much thought to and allow for inspiration to come to you. So many people have come to great understanding while on not only a long road trip, but just driving on the freeway. And I know I've done it where I just feel I just need to take a drive. And when I do, by the time I get back, I have much more clarity, just like walking. So I would, I would tell people that if there's something in them that they feel wants to be birthed or they feel they are here to do, then to trust that, that we need that, 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 that dream should not be diminished, but it should be brought forth and then trust that there will be people that will come along that will help and assist. And that's another thing, always be open to help. And for a lot of us, it's a challenging thing. We want to either do it on our own or perhaps there's a, a, a thought or a sentence in us that says we don't deserve to be helped or they won't be able to do it as good as we can. But nonetheless, you don't ask, you don't receive back. My mother's an artist and she'll often say that, you know, she, mm. she goes to places and asks if they'll hang her art, display her art, and, and they do. And, and then it's wonderful for all of us and everyone gets to see her art. Uh, and she says, if I didn't ask, it wouldn't have happened. So I think being okay with asking and sometimes asking doesn't even have to be the main person uh, that you feel would, would be the right investor. It could just be asking a friend 
or just running an idea by a friend. But one thing is, it's important to speak things into existence. And one of the ways to do that is, if you want to be a store owner, start saying, I am a store owner, or I will be a store owner, or I will meet everyone that I need to meet to make me a successful store owner. So starting to put that on, shift, you could say, your energy or, or your, your vibration to that of a store owner, to you know, see it, feel it, and be it you know, uh, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And, you know, in, in the book, I have this one walk called the, the Destination Manifestation Walk that I describe to people. And it can be done anywhere. And basically what you do is you set a goal of, let's say, the tree at the end of the street or the sign that you're going to walk to. And as you walk there, you think about what you want. Let's say, for instance, it's a new job. A new job at a bank will be even more specific. And as you walk, you think about that. And when you get to the end of the street, you touch that sign or that tree and you hold on to it. And now you feel through every fiber of your being, what does it feel mm -hmm. to be that banker? What does it feel like to have that job? Let it enter you, fill you up. And then as you walk back, you walk back as you, the banker, would walk. How do you feel in your body? How does the sidewalk feel under your feet? How do the clouds look to you now that you're this banker? You take it in, you embody it, you envision it, you wear it, and you walk with it. And that changes body chemistry, obviously boosts our confidence. And like imagine, like Einstein says, imagination is a preview of the future. Very powerful. Visualizing is very powerful. So I find that walking, when you embody something like that, it's the whole system is working. So as much as we benefit from creative visualization, whether it be lying down or sitting in a chair, when you can also bring it into the walk, then your whole body gets a sense to wire in or groove into this new way of being. So it can be highly effective. Yeah. Just listening to you talking now, I think, you know, for me, when I go out to walk, it, it really is, and I've said this before, it's meditation on the move. And for me yeah. to you know bring things into my mind from nothing you know they can just kind of appear in there like you say you're on autopilot your legs are walking you might be taking in your surroundings but something brings those things into your head and allows you to process them and also you know you talk a lot about um and you were speaking a bit about the ego earlier about not giving control to it as well is what you speak about and and kind of we hear a lot about that these days you know people talk about ego and, and some people say oh, i haven't got a big ego but allow things to bounce off or go through you you know it's not necessarily about okay well that's not fair and this isn't fair and i'm never going to be able to do that and that person said that to me and it's very very difficult to let go of those things and i think our friend uh eckhart toll has done a great job of spreading the word about this and many other people including yourself and it's quite incredible when you start to look at the world differently as a result um, and for anyone who hasn't read A New Earth by him, I think please just please go and read it because it's an absolute game changer. But can you tell me about what not being controlled by your ego means in this sense? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, the ego's first um, job is to tend to the ego. <laughs> so it wants to be safe. It wants to be heard. Sometimes like a kicking, screaming child wants to have its way. And so, you know, that's, that's what we're dealing with. And a lot of times change, we don't want to change because the ego doesn't want to change. 
Having said that, obviously it's no mistake that we have an ego. It's not that it's an all bad thing. It serves a purpose, but it's also become out of balance um, where a lot of people are moving more from the ego or the lower nature than the higher nature, or even you could say the heart nature if you wanna get a little more esoteric. Um, one of the challenges in this day and age when people are, let's say stressed, uncertain, living more from that uh, fight or flight mode in their nervous system that that's really food for the ego because the ego says you see that you you can't trust you can't trust life you, you can't help someone else you have to take care of yourself you see this you gotta you gotta it's all about you you gotta you gotta uh, be safe and so when we transcend the ego we start to go it, it, it's, it's from i to we right so, you know the ego says what can you do for me? The, the higher self says, you know, what can I do for you, right? It shifts right to service. The ego says that we're separate from one another. The higher self or the heart center says that we're all interconnected. Science will tell you that same thing. So in some ways I feel the ego in this day and age is almost making a last ditch effort to really control the world. And I feel in some ways, whether you mention Eckhart or other people's books or, or the interpretation of you know, Jesus's words, that we're at a point where there can be a shift. Will it happen? I don't know. I'm not prophetic in that sense. But I do feel more and more people are realizing that this egoic way of viewing the world, the us versus them, the this versus that, the, um, the entrenched, constricted, small view of the world tribalism, duality, binary thought, that all the things that come from that uh, aren't serving us that well anymore. And I do think we're entering a time when there can be, at least the groundwork is there for profound shift in consciousness. And that doesn't in any way belittle or lessen the individual, the single person, even if you say it, we're all interconnected, it actually strengthens it because then we feed one another. We build one another up rather than tearing each other down. We love one another rather than fearing one another. And from that place, the individual soars and the collective soars. So my thought is that the ego has served us well, continues to serve us well, but we can turn down that voice a little now and start to say, what's the higher self operate like? And what is the heart? Mm want to say to the world and, and it's and it is about that kind of sharing more group mentality we've had so so many things happen in the world over the last even 10 years and it does seem that people pull together a lot more now than they perhaps used to and, and I was just thinking then I'm um, I heard the artist Laurie Anderson um speaking the other day about the fact that there's so many people trying to find their individualism and to sort of stand out from the crowd and she says that the crowd is just too big and that we should just be one of the group and not be some kind of eccentric or exotic individual and that we should just drop our trumpet for a while. And she also says, which I love, um, that it's the hope that if you create something that you're an average enough person that it will cross over somehow. And when I read about what you do, you sort of come across as a very calm and benevolent guy. And, so is that 
how you feel then about what you share being part of that group as you're saying rather than you standing out as a particular let's say you know guru in in the the other sense um but you know more kind of sharing like we were just saying there you know everybody seems to be kind of coming together and there isn't this i it's more about we so is that how you feel with the things that you're sharing well i i certainly hope so i i I hope it comes off that way because I don't think I could do what I do um, if it was the opposite of that. So it literally is living a life of service. Um, to be quite honest, um, if I wasn't living a, a life of service, I'd probably be spending less time on the computer, uh, maybe even less time writing in some ways. Like I really do this because I feel the work that is coming through me can benefit humanity as a collective and individuals on their path. So my work um, supports the individual and it supports the collective. And as much as one honors the individual and the importance of the individual, you cannot separate that person from another. Everything in my experience is interconnected. Mm. So if I help someone, I'm helping everyone. If I hurt someone, I'm hurting everyone. Mm -hmm. So I don't view things as disconnected. I don't view someone as a Republican or a Democrat or Black. To me, it's this interconnected mm -hmm. yeah. human race. Mm -hmm. So what can I do right now? It's writing, speaking, some walks, things like this. Mm -hmm. This is what I can do. I feel to help. And, you know, there's a big, um, there's a thought and there's a, there's a study and, and a view around this idea of, is everything perfect? And so most people would say, it's interesting. I did a Facebook post and I said, what if everything was happening exactly as it's supposed to? And I did that post and it was about a month and a half into COVID or maybe two months. And then about eight months later, I put the same post up. And every response that it is, which I found fascinating because I didn't weigh in it way in at all from my perspective, I simply put the question out there. And a very varied group of people, which I feel my feed has very interesting, different types of people, they all said it is. So if you believe that it really is, well, you're saying a very, you're making a very interesting statement. You're saying that the, the single mother who's now out of a work uh, because of COVID or you know, parents, someone struggling, that that was supposed to be. And so then we go into what is that, what are they really saying? What they're saying is there's a bigger plan, whether you want to call it God's plan, universe's plan. And in that plan, everything is perfect. So when I say myself being of service and in serving the collective, I don't, like I said earlier, I'm not a prophet. I don't know where the human race is ultimately going, but I do know what I'm here to share. And that's what I do. And I try to do it without so much connection to outcome meaning try to do it with a sense of healthy detachment, not thinking that, that it has to come out a certain way, but honoring, like this walking book wanted to be written. It was very clear that it wanted to be written. So I wrote the book and now it's out there and it seems people are, are, are benefiting from it and writing to me and liking the book. But that was something I did to be of service. Um, but I didn't write it and say that it had to do this, this, and this in my life. I wrote it because it showed up in my consciousness and wanted to be written and I wanted to follow the thread. I wanted to see where it would lead me in life. Mm. 
And that's really interesting. And I really want to talk about your book in a moment, but I just want to ask you another thing before that. And it was about mentors because you talk about that and and um, I think mentors find us in some way as a response to what we put out there, as we were speaking about earlier, about just putting it out there and saying it and manifesting it. And that's happened to me over the last few years or so where people have sort of come into my life and, and various things have happened. And you mentioned on your website that you've had many teachers yourself. Can you tell me a bit about who those teachers are and how that helped you to help people in the way that you're doing now through your workshops, etc.? Sure. Uh, my, my teachers um, are varied and some of them would never take a title of teacher, but that would perhaps start with my mother. And I used to, when I was in my early 20s, I would say to my friends, my mother's the type of person that she'd find a $5 bill in Yankee Stadium, that's a baseball stadium by us, and she'd go around and see who dropped the $5 bill. And well, let's just say it's a $50 US dollars. And when I would say that, I wasn't saying it in a complimentary way. I was saying, she's kind of crazy. And, um, and I would keep that $50 bill. So now... I'd be more like her and I'd go around and say, hey, did you drop this $50 bill? So when I talk about teachers, there's my mother and there was my father and, and there was my brother and it still is my brother. He, he's a teacher in his own way for me. Um, and then you go deeper into, well, Louise Hay. Louise Hay was a teacher who I had a good fortune of meeting, right? So she was a teacher. Um, I had a Qigong teacher named Chris Fernie. And Chris Fernie was the first person to introduce me to Feldenkrais, uh, the Feldenkrais technique uh, created by Moshe Feldenkrais, an Israeli physicist who became a movement expert. And so Chris helped me understand better the, the energetic properties of the body and also subtlety and nuance and ease. He was the first person in this lifetime to really introduce me to less is more and the idea of going from rock to water to find strength and softness, like a Bruce Lee would be a classic example of that. Um, and then of course, any Qigong master you see, Tai Chi master. So these were amazing teachers. And later in life, uh, I've had a teacher named Randy Turner, who's still my teacher, who I see every Tuesday and teaches awareness through movement, which is Feldenkrais-based uh, practice. And Randy is, a, is an incredible listener. Um, so his listening is not only amazing in conversation and in presence, but his listening to your body and what your body is saying. So you could go to a session with him and you could, he could say, how are you feeling? And you could say, that's, that's oh, great, never better. And then he places his hands on your body, reads tissue, what the, what the body's saying, by listening, deep, deep listening, many sees that might not be so true. So I've had many teachers, and at this point in my life, I don't view anyone as not my teacher. So I've never had an encounter with someone where I'm not learning something, either about them, myself, or the world. So uh, I feel one of the skill sets I have is I've been gifted their ability to learn. And that the growth of that, the outgrowth of that has shown me that everyone and everything is my teacher. So I mentioned some specific people who popped to mind that's in our sharing, but there's nothing that isn't my teacher. Mm, I agree. Yeah. So let's talk about your book because it is 
Brilliant. And it's called, let me just give the title, it's Walking with Glenn Birkenkamp, 35 Wellness Walks to Expand Awareness, Increase Vitality and Reduce Stress. I mean, could there be a more alluring title than that? And uh, I nabbed the very last copy from Amazon, so it's pretty popular. And uh, and you wrote that you don't plan what to write, but just things come to you and that even though you loved walking from a child, you never thought about writing a book about walking. So how did you decide to start this one? Well, since we've had a spiritual conversation in many ways uh, thus far, I'll share, I guess it's the first podcast that I've shared this on. And I didn't share it in a book either, but this book uh, came to be, I was sitting at a traffic light in an area called Mill Valley, California. And I do mention this part in the book. And in, in the book, I say where the idea came to me. What I don't say in reality is I looked over at my passenger seat and saw a book laying there, lasted maybe four or five seconds, and then it was gone. And it was a book called Walking with Glenn Birkenkamp. So that night I went home, opened up my computer, and basically said, okay, spirit, this is what we want to do. Let's do it. And the first couple paragraphs just sort of came out very smoothly and wanted to be written. So I realized, okay. So from that moment on, I decided to follow it through again. So yeah, it was an idea, but it was more, I guess, someone would call a vision or a, I don't know how you wow. describe those things. But I saw it clear as day laying on the seat. But it made me curious to say, OK, is there going to be a book? And, you know, the title, Walking with Glenn Birkenkamp, but most of your listeners will, will, will know that I'm not a famous person. It's not like walking with uh, Oprah Winfrey yeah. or whatever. So, so uh, I said to the publisher early on that I'm quite aware that the, my name may not be a big selling point, even though uh, I've had friends say, oh, it's a wonderful name and I like the cadence or, or you know, whatever their, their complimentary um, sharings may have been. I was quite aware that uh, this may not be uh, the best for, I guess you'd say, business to have my name there. But also in the writing of the book, it becomes very, well, I, I spell it out to people that, that they can put their name in the title because it's not so much about anyone who may have walked with me or I may have walked with through years. It's about that wherever I walk and whoever I'm walking with, I'm always walking with Glenn Birkenkamp. And whoever you walk with, you're always walking with Kat. Mm. So it's basically about our own personal walk through life. So I tell people they can put their name in the title uh, and it'll be as effective or perhaps even more effective uh, than having my name in there. But to the publisher's credit, you know, there's a lot of other titles thrown around. Some I came up with, some they came up with. And finally, they they said, no, we think we should go with your original title. And, you know, and my mother said all along, I don't get it. Why are you looking for another title when you saw a vision mm. of the book with that title? And then, you know, the idea of having a book go out with your name in the title um, was an interesting thought for me, too. But again, I honored it, and, and I really do feel it's the book about uh, where someone could put their name right in the title. It's really about the individual who's reading it, their walk through life, and hopefully the walks in the book will serve them really well on, the, on their walk through life. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, if I saw a book on a seat and it had my name on it and was telling me to write it, I think I'd use that title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, well, you're my, you're my mother's uh, thoughts, right? So, and, and I think you're probably right. 
Oh, brilliant. Oh, what a great story. Um, and I'm really, really enjoying your book. I haven't read it all because I'm really savouring each walk because I love the way it's sort of split up into various titles because you have things such as listening walk and inner smile walk and dedication walk and slow motion walk. There's so many. Well, there's 35. Um, and you start at the beginning of each one with a nice quote. Um, and one of my favourite ones is in there, which is, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, which was another nice little bit of synchronicity there. Um, and then the benefits and when to do it and how to do it. And then the takeaways and reflections. So it's all kind of really nicely sectioned up. And you also talk about the GBS check-in before you start. So can you talk to us about what that is and perhaps give people who are walking right now listening to this some guided prompts to try perhaps? Oh, yeah. Well, the, the GBS pre-walk check-in, this is, I, you know, this is something that I find is so important in this day and age. And, and I don't want that to sound like a big dramatic statement, but I do feel there's some weight, weight to it because... Um, the GBS pre-walk check-in stands for ground, breath, space. So before we leave our house to walk or before we leave our house to do anything in life, we, we normally look for you know, certain things. We look for our keys, perhaps our purse, our wallet, uh, our phone. So I suggest that we look for three other things and we find them before we leave. And that is the ground beneath us, the breath within us, and the space around us. So in about two minutes, I guide people through what's called the GBS, which is first connecting to the ground, feeling the feet anchored on the ground. You could even envision roots growing into the ground. Once you've established that connection to the ground, allow your attention to move up through the body as if it's water rising through the body or an elevator going all the way up where you're aware of your body until your spine is long and your head is high. That's ground you've taken care of it so you've grown yourself from the ground up connected to your body the next is breath where you would take three inhales so you inhale for four seconds hold it for four seconds exhale for four seconds pause for four seconds and begin the cycle two more times fully exhaling you can exhale beyond the four seconds if you want so that's breath and the last is space very few of us are really aware of the space around us. Sometimes we'll bang our toe into something and not even know it was there or you know, hit the door when we're walking through it. It's like personal space and the space around us is sacred. And it's also where our energy exists. So this last part, this space, is about just once you're grounded, once you've connected to your breath, close your eyes and just sense into the space around you, three to five feet in each direction, three to five feet in front of you, behind you, to the right of you, the left of you, above you, and beyond you. And for people that might be familiar with the human energy field or what's called the aura, if you believe in such a thing, this is a time you connect into that field around you, that energetic field, which is your space, your energy field. So just knowing the space around you even if it's just with your imagination, how does it feel around you, is very empowering. And this is, when we go out into the world, if we're connected to the ground, connected to our breath, and connected to the space around us, we are very, very, we're in a very good place. And we're in a place that we're not often in. So I highly recommend a GBS pre-walk check-in that can be done anytime, anywhere. 
Great. And I was kind of getting into it there when you were speaking. <laughs> it's really easy. You've got one of those voices, you see, kind of bringing you into the into the breath. Have you have you thought about recording that as an audio book, you know, to kind of walk people through as they're actually doing it? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I think I'll send an email today about that because that was the initial thought at some point it would happen. And I get a lot of requests about that. And I think in this day and age, um, especially with guided walks, walks, um, there's a great deal of interest. So I, I think I'll send the publisher an email after we talk and, and just see where we're at with that. Um, Cause I do feel it's very important. Mm, yeah. It would be really lovely because um, I think listening to it, you know, in headphones and just walking and, and using that as a flow technique, that would be really, really nice. Now, you also write screenplays, don't you? And you say that it's a good way to reflect things back to us. And that really kind of piqued my interest when I read that, because as with therapy, which is what I'm studying at the moment, a big healer is reflecting back to people about what they're expressing um, to enable them to hear what's inside their head. And we talked a bit about that earlier. Is this what you mean in terms of screenwriting? How how do you what do you mean by that when you're reflecting back to people because they're just watching it on a screen and seeing things what do you mean well and generally when we when we watch a film or we hear a story we connect with a certain character or characters or the trials and tribulations that a character is going through or what they might need to overcome what lesson they need to learn so most movies that reach you could say a it, whether it be a wide audience or a well-received, do so because there's a universal thing within them that connects to each of us, reflects back to us. Commonly, you'll hear the term in, in the screenwriting world of the hero's journey, made famous by Joseph Campbell's work on mythology. And so the hero's journey, basically, we're, in life, we're all heroes. We may not feel like it, but we're all on a journey and it's the, it's the hero's journey. And we get to see in movies a lot of our own struggles. Now, granted, we might not be someone who's struggling to save our farm, but we could be someone who's struggling to uh, pay our rent. And we can see overlaps and parallels that might inspire us to keep going. So when I talk about uh, films reflecting back to us, they're getting a chance for us to be outside ourselves, to look at ourselves. And um, there's a great quote from Yogananda, I don't know if you know Yogananda, but he, he and this is something I, I often go to um, when we talk about movies, he loved movies and he would say, you can watch the images that are playing out on the screen, but become more intrigued by the being the light that's bringing them there, and even further, be more intrigued by the projector that's projecting them there. And I bring this up not to take your question to a too to esoteric a space, but what he meant by that is in a sense, it's all an illusion. It's all story. And that real essence is in God or creation or the truth of all things, that being, that projector, the creator of all. So he would say, put your focus there. Having said that, What's playing out in front of us before our very eyes is profound because it shows us the human condition in very various forms. And almost all of us that connect with a movie, we connect with it because there's a part of us that it's reaching into. And so I used a word, let's say reflecting, as you brought it up. 
but it's this connection. We're seeing parts of ourselves play out in front of us. Mm. Are you familiar with Adam Curtis? No. Oh, okay. So he, he is a, a storyteller, really. He he creates these amazing films and they're really, really hard to explain, but basically they are lots and lots and lots of pieces of film stitched together. And he's done a number of them now and he's doing one at the moment about human emotion through history. And and it's just such a... It, listening to you talking about that just reminds me of something that he pulls together and it's a real reflection on people. It's quite bizarre. It kind of takes a little while to get your head around it but once you kind of see what the thread is running through it it's quite amazing so if you could manage to uh get hold of of some of his films they're, they're pretty good it's all about that so that's great uh and interesting yeah because i think when we watch tv or films everybody takes it in a different way you know you could be watching the same thing but what you're seeing and what you're possibly reflecting back on yourself is completely different so it's really interesting isn't it Okay, so I need to ask you the question I ask everyone on Stepping Out, and that is, if you could walk with anyone, here or past, famous or not, who would that be, Glenn? Where would you walk, and what do you think you'd talk about? Oh, um, well, there's a lot of people I can want to walk with. You can have more than one, there you uh, go. <laughs> but, well, I could say my father's mother, because I'd never met her. She passed when my dad was young, and I'd love to get to know her um my my grandfather on my mother's side uh who i knew till i guess i was about 10 years old profound man i think at this point in my life i would love to walk with him um but if it was one it would it would be without a doubt uh, jesus mm -hmm. out of curiosity love wishing to understand the story from his words uh to see if this man that we're told about now was like if he's been captured in the right light if he's been portrayed in the right way if the teachings have been shared in the way he'd like them to have been shared uh yeah so walking with him would be amazing where i'd say wherever he'd want to walk i'd be up for it on the sea <laughs> yeah yeah see yeah it's fine i, I love the ocean yeah. i love it so that'd be wonderful but i i think yeah, because my curiosity, he he is, um, if not the, he's among the most influential beings who ever walked this planet. And so for me, it'd be very, yeah, just moving mm -hmm. and um, profound to to hear from him directly what his teachings were, who he is, what he came here to do. Yeah. And that in a way that doesn't come through any filters. What a brilliant answer. And, oh. Just think of, I mean, the amount that he's permeated through the world in different ways with with all those kind of books and teachings and things, that would be an incredible walk, I think. Um, I think you'd have to let him pick where to walk, do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I think he's pretty humble. I think he'd probably say, where would you like to walk? Yeah, he probably would. <laughs> oh, Glenn, we've come to the end of our time. So please, everyone, go and buy Glenn's book because it really is good and I'm just kind of um, like I said taking my time through it you know chewing it over and really absorbing it so it's great and I want to thank you Glenn it's been so good talking to you and I found it really insightful to hear about your journey so thank you very much for sharing this time with me. Thank you Kaz thank you for the work you're doing in the world and helping people get deeper into the 
practice of stepping out and, uh, and walking. Uh, as we know in this day and age, it is so important. Mental health, uh, mind, body health is so, so, so critical at this point. So thank you for your work in that field. Oh, thank you for your time, Glenn. What a great conversation that was. And I'm sure we can all learn a lot from that. Really nice to hear about how someone changes from one path to another and gains self-awareness and insight on the way. I hope you had a lovely walk or whatever it was you were doing then. I mean, you may have been lying in your hammock. Or have I said enough times to go for a walk so you're now conditioned to do that? In which case, good. Well done. Right, the light has faded here, but I'm going to grab some steps before night time properly sets in. You have a good day or evening, take good care, and I look forward to having you along next time. Thank you.